Welcome to A Correction Podcast. I'm your host, Lev Moscow. And today I'm really excited to be joined by Carolyn Cornier, who's a French German researcher and a member of the Junior Research Group Monetary Sovereignty in West Africa. And uh, you are getting your PhD at the University of Beirut. Is that correct, Carolyn? I'm actually doing my PhD at all of starting at the University of Manchester, but I'm still associated with the Beirut group. Okay, okay great. I, I only bring that up because I think you're the third person on the show from that institution, and it just sounds like a pretty great institution of so many interesting people working there. Yeah, yeah, I'm part of that same group. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, it's a it's a fantastic and an impressive group, and and welcome to the show. I'm glad I, we've been trying for a while to have you on, and I'm I'm so glad that you that you made it today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So today, I'd like to talk about a piece you wrote for uh, for Rope, the review of African political, and um, it was actually about a conference that took place last October, mm-hmm. Senegal, and. We'll get to we'll get to the conference in a sec, but you start the piece. I like the way you start the piece. You start the piece by saying Africa, like the rest of the world, is in crisis. So maybe we just start there. What is the nature of the crisis in Africa? Um, yeah, I think it's the same crisis we are seeing everywhere in a way. So climate crisis, uh, financial crisis inflation, war, it all impacts us in different ways, but it's the same source in a way. And so I think Africa is a place where we see that in a particular way, um, because it's still uh, very dependent on the rest of the world. And we know that it will be one of the places that will be very strongly impacted by climate change, for example. So, um, yeah, those were the crises I was thinking about um, when I start the, the piece, basically. It's, it's not just sort of short-term crises, but it's we're talking about also like ecological crisis. In, in the yeah, and, yeah, it's linked to structural problems that lead mm-hmm. to this crisis. All right, so let's, let's get into that. The, you, you titled the article, The Reconquest of Economic Sovereignty in Africa. And so I guess the implication is that Africa today does not have economic sovereignty. And I'd like you, you know, in a little while to get into you know, what you mean by that. But the, the conference, the slogan of the conference, the motto of the conference, facing the socio-ecological crisis, de-linking, and the question of global reparations. So there's a lot there, but perhaps you could talk about what is de-linking and what that might have to do with regaining economic sovereignty. Yeah, so delinking is a concept that was originally um, developed by the French Egyptian economist Samir Amin in a book uh, from 1985, Delinking Towards a Polycentric World. And so the idea comes from dependency theory that um, originated in Latin America and that seeks to explain uh, inequalities that we can observe at the at the macro the global level um, in economic terms between what uh, Sami Amin called the center and the periphery. So the center would be Europe and the US and uh, the periphery the rest in a certain way. So the other continents and um, so 
key and dependency theorists in general in Latin America were thinking about why that was, why there is this uh, inequality and why it seemed not to reduce um, after the Second World War. So in the 60s and 70s, um, at first countries tried to, in, in the Global South, what we call the Global South today, to catch up in a certain way um, in economic terms with development. Um, and But over time, it became more and more apparent that there seemed to be um, obstacles that were not so easy to overcome. And so um, dependency theory basically is saying that this has structural reasons. And um, and so we have to rethink about why that is. And Sami Amin said that one um, possibility to overcome it is the linking. So that uh, countries have to refocus on their own economies and their own production, their own consumption, um, in order to get out of that circle where they only produce um, raw material for for the rest of the world and don't get enough uh, value out of that. Um, because that's still what we are seeing today, mostly that um, the Global South is producing these raw materials that also contribute a lot to global destruction and climate change and all of that that is linked to it, like deforestation, for example, for producing um, commodities like cocoa or mining also has devastating effects. And, but um, yeah, crucially, they don't, they don't get a lot of value out of it. So then they can't reinvest that in um, in their economies. So the idea with the linking is you produce what you consume um, internally. And so that value stays within your economy and then you can reinvest it um, directly. But so what is important to say is that it's not the idea of autarky because um, it's, yeah, you still are connected with the rest of the world, but it's a more self-centered form of development. I'm I'm glad you said that because I was gonna I was gonna ask whether or not it was yeah whether to what extent it was autarkic, but maybe we could get into the details then because let's say I'm a a country without without any oil, I sort of need in the modern economy to be linked up with with the rest of the global economy so that I can I can buy oil right so what do, I mean, to what extent are we actually delinking are we trying to be you know self-sufficient to what extent should we maintain ties are they south to south ties yeah I think we are getting right into the topic here because this question links to the problem or the issue of monetary and economic sovereignty directly because why monetary because to buy oil you need foreign exchange so you need dollars basically and uh, i mean that is one of the main reasons why this dependency um where you export where where the global south exports this raw material materials um still persists because that's the main way these countries get foreign exchange with what they can then import and um, pay for all these raw materials, but also 
machinery and um, products that they can't produce themselves. So that's why um, the idea with linking would be also energy-wise to to try and become more self-sufficient also in energy terms. Um, so that would be energy and food. So the basic um, products you need for your population to thrive, to survive even, and your economy to um, to develop. Because as long as you depend on these basic um, factors from the outside, you have to produce the exchange that you use to then buy it. So if you want to become more sovereign, you have to um, start by by these two factors. Um, and yeah, that's also, so for example, with um, energy, um, you could say that um, producing more solar energy, for example, could be a way out for Africa, out of this um, dependency, because they have the sun. And there's a lot of talk around that. But what's an obstacle we are um, we are observing here? It's actually that um, the problem is that investing in this um, sector needs a lot of capital. So again, you need money and a lot of starting capital, actually. And um, and this is kind of where we are trying to link monetary system and climate crisis, because um, the problem here is that the um, the interest rates that African countries pay are a lot higher than um, the West pays, Western countries pay. So it becomes a lot more expensive for them to to invest. And also the other the other problem is trust, because most of the energy firms in in Africa, and a good example is South Africa, um, are very badly managed and um, are often close to being bankrupt. So they can't really inspire a lot of trust um, so that countries invest uh, in them or even private companies invest in them. So these are actually um, yeah, two structural obstacles directly linked to how the monetary system works and that are making that transition difficult. So if you want to that was kind of something we were trying to think about. If you want to um, imply in, implement the concept of of the linking, what are these structural obstacles we have to overcome first in order to make that possible? Right. So let's talk about what it would look like to have a delinked monetary policy. Um, yeah. So then there you have to start talking about currencies so um and the first um aspect that becomes apparent here is that there's actually a hierarchy um within currencies that's what we call uh, monetary hierarchies so the way the monetary system is set up today is that the dollar the american dollar is at the top of this hierarchy and that is directly linked to oil because the the value of the dollar is actually stabilized by being linked to to that key commodity that everyone needs still today. Um, so 
and and because and why how is it linked it's linked because you pay because oil is paid in in dollar so um that creates a demand a constant demand that stabilizes its value so all the other currencies are um come next in that hierarchy and african countries have um yeah either their own currencies the anglophone countries and the french um african countries and that's a whole other conversation in a way they have a currency called the francif a so that's a currency that was introduced in colonial times by the french and that persists until today even though its name has been changed but basically it's the same currency and that one was uh, originally linked to the french franc and today is linked to the to the euro so it has it's a, it's stable it's only been devalued once in the 90s and um so it's it's basically the euro uh, so um yeah so then if we want to talk about um about monetary sovereignty first we have to talk about having your own um your own currency in in the in the case of the french the french countries because with that currency the the not the french country the francophone <laughs> african countries because if your your currency is linked to the euro that means that you can't devaluate um your currency for example to make your exports um less expensive and therefore more competitive and um and all your monetary policy is actually decided by the european central bank but carolyn i have a question about the cfa frank um seems to me that besides the fact that it would give you you know stability you wouldn't have a lot of inflation it would also allow you I guess if you had the money, it would allow you to buy new technologies cheaper from Europe because you're using a strong currency. Is that, or do I have it, am I wrong about that? Yeah, I don't know if cheaper necessarily, but it's true that right now what, what it does is it, it actually um, incites importation um, because it's, yes, it's so what we observe is that it, it and also what researchers have been saying for decades, why this system is persisting, because it's wrong to think that it's only a system that serves European interests, but it also serves the interest of African elites, because what does it um, make possible? It makes possible to, yes, to import cheaply um, products like um, luxury products and um yeah, things that are cheaply produced in Europe because there are no um, exchange costs. Like it's a directly convertible currency. Um, so yes, I think maybe you can say that technology to import it, it could be cheaper that way, but then you have, it wouldn't incite, but then again, yeah, of course, it's. I think it's illusionary to think that everything can be, can be produced um, in the global south, because that's what actually governments tried in the 50s and 60s with um, import substitution. So they invested a lot of money in um, in producing capacities, and that then led to the debt crisis 
Um, because with the oil crisis, the interest rates rose, and then countries were unable to pay back their their debt. So that's something you have to be very careful with. So it should you should actually try to import as little as possible, also technology wise, or you have to find ways to not get indebted too much that way. So yes, it does encourage it, but then you have the other side that it doesn't encourage um, production on site. Okay, good. I'm, I'm Again, I'm glad you brought up the import substitution industrialization, because I was going to ask how similar the plan was to, to ISI. And so I I have to admit, I'm in, in terms of details, and maybe there just aren't that many details, what, what does the the details look like if you're going to delink. So I understand that you you have your own currency, and that makes mm -hmm. it so that you'll be able to export more. You know what's the grand vision? What's the role of the state in this case? What is actually produced in the global south? How much do you export to the global north? How do you get those technologies that are vital to mm -hmm. the, to the green transition? Do you do you, at the conference did did the details come out? Yeah, I think the vision is that you produce what is locally consumed. So, um, and and to export um, what has even, yeah, I would say, I mean, you have to export still. I think it's illusionary to think that you don't depend on, that you won't depend on foreign exchange at all anymore. It's more a vision of a dual system in a way. So you have like a strong local market where you produce and consume what is locally produced and that way. And so it would also, um, and I think, yeah, that's a very important part of it, a, a kind of decolonization of minds because where you incite people to consume locally, because what we are observing right now or for decades actually is that people prefer to consume everything that comes from the outside. And um, I mean, and that is that is that is also a structural consequence of how these economies look like, because actually almost everything, if you take Africa as an example, for example, is imported. So so consumption patterns and um are very externally orientated because that's what is there. So for example, wheat, it, I mean, Africa is a huge consumer of wheat, what we now have more present because we are seeing with the war in Ukraine that there's a huge dependency on wheat imports. Um, but it makes actually no sense um, for African countries to consume wheat because they can't produce it here. Well, in, in Africa, I'm I'm currently in Cote d'Ivoire, so that's why I'm saying here. Um so so it's um the idea would be to, for example, produce more um more more grains and wheat, like for example, manioc, um, songo, fago, they like they're different um weeds that you could use also to make bread and those things but this hasn't been happening because there are too many interests um that this stays that way i mean that is also that this dependency on wheat is 
um, a colonial continuity because it's it was um, established during colonial times when when the colonial powers started to export um, wheat to to the African to the African continent and and other parts of the world. So um, so you would have this. So as I said before, energy and food mostly. So everything that can be produced here um, and consumed here. You would do that um, locally, and then uh, and for that you would use a local currency, um, because you have a lot more flexibility there. And then so maybe it would actually be yeah a dual system. You have two currencies that could be also um, an idea, um, because you would still need for an exchange to import those products that you can't produce yourself. Because yes, as we said before, I think it's important not to repeat. The mistakes that have been made in the in the past, where the idea was to become completely um, sovereign and to produce everything on site, but that just economically it wouldn't make sense because um, also climate-wise or te technology like know-how-wise, there's a lot that is not present in the global south at the moment. So you would have to make strategic choices there, but just. Um, yeah, not depend on everything from from the outside. So, but I think, yeah, as I was said before, that also crucially is linked to a, a change of of um, mindset in a way. Right. And so, just to, to, if I could restate, you would the, the steps would be you need to get your own currency, and then you would need to. Art to produce more of what makes sense to produce uh, ethically, uh, mm -hmm. import what you need, but um, really become much more self, more self dependent. Mm -hmm. um, but in order to do this, you need to get it kind of, we start back at the first problem, you need to get the capital in the first place to make mm -hmm. these kind of investments. But yeah, but that's the thing. So with your local currency, you would have that capital because um, and this is where the the conference was also linked to um, modern monetary theory. So that theory states that, and because you also ask about the role of the state, and because mm -hmm. the the state would actually have quite an important role here, because then the central, if you, if a country has its own currency, it's necessarily managed by its own central bank so that central bank could give the money and the credit that is necessary for these investments in its local currency um because that's the vital difference with foreign exchange you can't just it's usually like in the case of the african continent for example they would borrow from the world bank and then they have interest rates or from private lenders and there's a debt spiral that is directly in pl place again. Whereas when it's your own currency, you can um, you can rely on your bank um, to give that money. Then you have to see that it is spent and everything to to avoid inflation. But you could have, and that's something that we've seen with COVID that um, all of a sudden capital was given by central banks um, in large amounts that had never um, seemed possible before. So it's again also something linked to a mindset and like what role the state can play, what role central banks can play 
um, and back to yeah more of a fiscal capacity rather than just um, monetary um, policies, where where the central banks just regulate regulate interest rates um, but have no do not um, intervene fiscally by by giving credit. So what would happen is you again, I, just so I can understand, you wouldn't go to traditional credit markets, you wouldn't borrow from private banks, you wouldn't borrow from the IMF or the World Bank. You would instead borrow, if you're a developing country, you would borrow from your own central bank. You'd have to figure out how that wouldn't be inflationary. Is that the idea? Yeah, by by yeah, consuming um, sufficiently. So to not just print money without doing anything with the money. But, so that's um, the part I don't understand exactly. How would that how would that work? Like so you the central bank would print money, would lend it to would they lend it to the government or would they lend it to private firms? And then how do we make I, I don't I guess I don't understand the the sort yeah, of Yeah, to to private firms. And the idea would be that it would be invested in um in projects that are yeah, locally implemented and that are sustainable. Um, so that would also be a way, um, yeah, to to address the whole climate issue. So, for example, in renewable energy, so that way, um, the state or the central bank, which is backed up by the state, mm -hmm. could um also give that guarantee for these kind of um investments. I mean, that is that's what is happening in um in the western world as well mm. more and more that the state is getting back of um assuring this um position of of a guarantor of um security and that makes it possible to make this big these big investments i see um yeah so but it's just be, just the technical side if as long as the invest as long as the capital is being invested this the MMT argument that as long as it's being invested, it doesn't cause inflation. Yeah, exactly. As long as a if it's uh, reinvested productively directly, it huh. wouldn't cause inflation. Okay, that's that's uh, the idea. Then there seems to be like a third pillar, which is debt that exists already. This is what you write about. You call it odious debt, and I think it's this this guy Toussaint talks about it a bunch. Mm -hmm. um, has to be uh, it has to be debt relief. So what is odious debt and then who would give that relief? Um well yeah the idea is that you wouldn't even need debt relief because you wouldn't be indebted in foreign currency because the whole thing is the debt is only odious when it's in foreign exchange because then you have to gain that money again mm -hmm by exporting and that way you are back in that vicious circle where you have to export as as quickly and as much as possible what is at hand and mm -hmm. usually what is at hand is still raw material raw commodities and so that way the countries are stuck forever um in in that circle so for example to give the 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 example of cocoa Coco is and uh, of of Cote d'Ivoire where I'm, I'm right now. So um, Cote d'Ivoire, it's its main income for foreign exchange. So for decades since the 60s, 
uh, Cote d'Ivoire has been increasing its production um, to have more and more foreign exchange because it's the main revenue of the government is the export um, tax on, on its cocoa exports. So um, that way the government has actually not really an interest in more in, in reducing production, what would be what will be necessary now, because actually what happened with this increase of production was that the whole country was deforested. Mm. There's now almost no forest left. And um, so now there isn't really a way to 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 continue this kind of production. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, for decades it has been stuck in this um, where it's just exporting its raw material to get this foreign exchange back. So um, if you don't rely on foreign exchange that much, the idea is that you can invest more in other things that don't mm-hmm. earn you that foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. I guess I was thinking with odious debt, the debt that exists currently, you would have to mm-hmm. figure out a way, somebody would have to dissolve that debt, right? Like you would- Yeah, but and, and- yeah. But- but but then yeah so that is of course that has to be solved i mean there have has been debt relief in the 2000s mm-hmm. um something like that would have to happen again the problem is that now countries from the global south are often also indebted with various actors actually it's not just the imf um and public institutions but a lot of private actors so the question really is how can we get those to accept debt relief as well because they have no interest actually in doing that mm-hmm. um and like uh, euro bonds and all these things that came up um after that um first debt relief but we see also because that was in the 2000s and now we are basically back at where we were in the 2000s so it's unsustainable that's why and also at the conference the the argument was we have to find structural um, solutions of changing the system so that not every 20 years we are back at where we started. 